Good afternoon, you're listening to Scariff Bay Community Radio and the programme is Local Media This Week. The show where we have a look at all the local papers here, the local print media in County Clare, and we give our take on what's in it and uh, we generally have a chat about it. I'm delighted to be joined by our usual crew here today. First of all, uh, on my right is uh, John S. Kelly. John, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jim. And uh, all the way from O'Callaghan's Mills, Pat O'Brien. Pat, you're very welcome. Thanks, Jim. And all the way from Tumgraney, David Fleming. David, you're welcome again. Thank you, Jim. Anyway, uh, loads to We had a look at the papers here before we came on air and uh, absolute loads of stuff all over the place. Let's have a look. Maybe something we have often talked about before, and that's Aer Lingus and Shannon. We, have, um, we were having a debate here before we started in relation to... Um, in relation to Aer Lingus, and is there an Aer Lingus Heathrow flight uh, to Shannon or not? Pat, what do you think? Well, um, there's a, a story here from Patrick McMahon in the, in the Echo. Shannon won't get cock routes during closure. Aer Lingus have confirmed that flights to Faro, Malaga and Palama de Malarca will not be transferred from Cork Airport to Shannon Airport. Next month, Cork Airport is to begin works over a 10-week period on the re- reconstruction of its runway. From September 13th to November 22nd, it will be the largest construction project undertaken there since 2005, when a new terminal auxiliary building were erected. At, as first reported in the clerical, this is a result of a, of a daily Aer Lingus service from Shannon to London Heathrow, commencing on September 13th. Mm. This service is intended to operate for the duration of the closure. Aircraft and cabin crew operating the Shannon to Heathrow service have to be based in Dublin. I was I was under the impression that they were going to uh, continue a service from Shannon to Heathrow, but certainly reading that article now, John, it, it, yeah, wait a minute, it's John. not one hundred percent clear. Yeah, but you say you were under an impression. Um, are you are you telling us that uh, Aer Lingus did indicate that they were going to come to Shannon during that month? Uh, the, I would say I was under the impression anyway I'm not sure yeah, I don't I know whether Aer Lingus did or not yeah yeah, because well, it, it's well, not you, clear you, no. you may recall gentlemen that when we I mean Shannon we, rep- we, we talk about Shannon nearly every week and uh, maybe we'll ask our listeners what they remember we spoke about or yeah. what the papers were. but anyway you may remember that when when Aer Lingus decided to move or to close their cabin base at Shannon, they made a guarantee, or at least they stated, guarantee might be too a strong, bit strong a word, say, yeah. they made a statement uh, before the Oireachtas Committee and in their public statement that this did not affect the flights, that, lo- that the Heathrow flights were still there. Now we're told that uh, the only sh- flight from Shannon to Heathrow is actually a, the Cork flight, being moved up. And is that very clear in that article by Porrie McMahon? Well, last week, last week we reported the, art, the, yeah. the, the article that Porrig is here referring to as first reported by the Clare Champion, the Clare Echo, last yeah. week. Uh, we reported that, uh, or Porrig reported that they were transferring this one flight. Obviously, Porrig wants to get a little bit more out of this pudding and um, the other flights from Cork to Faro, Malaga and Majorca are not coming to Shannon. And tell me mm. this, uh, it's apropos what we've been talking about, but th- this is directed to you, Jim, because uh, you, you were telling us about it before we went on air. And that is the difficulty we're having 
in having any communication with the airport. Never mind saying on the question of flights out. Well, you had, a, you had yeah, an experience. I suppose you? based on the what we have been talking about here over the last few weeks, I thought it best maybe to go to the horse's mouth mm-hmm. and to talk to the the media department in Shannon and see what exactly is happening and what isn't happening and and maybe even invite them on the show yes um, but certainly have do an interview with them um, so I discovered I looked up Google and I discovered where how to get in touch with Shannon you ring a certain number so I rang the number mm-hmm. um, but it didn't end there because I got eight different options on this. Yes. A uh, call when it answered and it says press one for this, press two for that. You enjoy that? I. <laughs> Does anybody enjoy that, John? <laughs> but each of them, none of them were actually to talk to a person. Really? Uh, we'll say one was for, no, I can't remember which was which, but one was for uh, looking for flight information, two was looking for car park information, three was. There was actually nothing to tell you to, to actually press a button that somebody would answer you. So I looked up the website and looked up the press department and I found out that uh, many of the services that they offered to people were... No, that might be Aer Lingus calling back. <laughs> there were a number of options available, but all were email. So I, I decided then I would email uh, the airport from the official email address of, of Scarif Bay Community Radio and asking them, would they help us out and talk to us? We do a little feature on Shannon and on the success of Shannon, particularly with the Erling or with the Ryanair flights coming in. And so that was Monday. That was last Monday. So today we're recording this Thursday evening. So I got no reply in that None at all. time. None at all. Are you sure no. you didn't miss a call? Well, no, I didn't miss a call because they, I didn't, they didn't have my number because no one answered me to, t- to take down the number. Um, but what about the excuse, Jim, or the reason or the factor? Um, we, people are working from home. Would you accept that if it was offered to you? No. No. And the reason why is because over the last number of months, as you know, we're hopefully going back on, the, on FM in September, and we've applied for a 10-year license. And I would be regularly, every week, sometimes a few times a week, in touch with the BAI, yes. who are also all working from home. <coughs> now, it, it can provide a slight delay sometimes that they'll say they will ring you back or whatever, but at least a person answers. Yeah. And in, in all cases with the BAI, you get a phone call back. Or an email back saying, you know, so I know I don't, I don't. So are we saying ultimately, is this symptomatic of the decline of Shannon Airport, the demise of Shannon Airport, the failure of Shannon Airport, whatever you want to call it? Like, is, 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 nothing seems to be happening. No bonus points emerging from this story. No. No. But surely surely there should be someone there, thanks for the phone, after sending an email. Yeah. So oh, four yeah. days, four days. You know, usually, yeah, yeah. usually, if you send an email to someone, you'll you'll get a you'll get a, a, a an answer back. Uh, like, usually, you know. yeah. yeah. So we'll see how it goes. We'll we'll keep an eye on the subject, and we'll see next week. Hopefully, someone will have answered us. The back. um, he, you should keep a record. It, it comes to my mind um when the NIHE was when Ed Walsh was establishing the NIHE in the ni- in in. It started in 72, but this was before that. He was mm. writing to civil servants. He kept a record of all his letters and the amount of time it took, particular 
departments, the Department of Education to respond. And this list survives in the archive in the university today. And at the top, there is one letter about a particular subject. can't remember the subject. 272 days, still awaiting a reply. And he would quote this fact in subsequent letters. Of course. (laughs) So we hope that that won't happen to you, Jim. It would be interesting if our listeners, having uh, consumed what Jim has told us, uh, would visit their own experience. Is this a once-off? Uh, I don't suspect it is just a once-off, but we'd love to get some yeah. evidence that others... Well, it would be. In this case, I suppose, Jim was contacting the press office on behalf of the, of, of the radio station. It's cu- it would be curious about to know how journalists and other people who have to contact the press office out there, um, how, how long they might have to yeah. wait... Because it's the press office. It's about promotion and publicity. Companies and so on may have to contact them. I don't know. but yeah, it's. I mean, quite obviously, the area, Shannon Airport has people who answer phones. But they don't supply the number. I mean, if Michael O'Leary wants to talk to someone in Shannon Airport, surely to God they will answer him. Because otherwise he wouldn't have put planes in no. there. No, <laughs> maybe they're not answering Aer Lingus and more answering um, Michael O'Leary's calls yeah. these days. It's, it's unbelievable, that, yeah. isn't yeah. it? But we, yeah. look, we will keep an eye on it. Um, and mm. I would be, you know, we would be very anxious to promote Shannon and to see Shannon do well. And I suppose slightly linked to Shannon, Pat, there's a picture there on page uh, three of the Clare Champion. And it's uh, flying to a better climate. Now, it's not so much about Aer Lingus or about Shannon. It's a bit, it's a green story. Yeah, it's uh, flying to a better climate. Uh, in Ireland, aviation accounts for 20% of carbon emissions from transport. Project Genity highlights some changes we can make as, an, as individuals to reduce our impact on, on the climate. Uh, there's a full page there on, on, on it, really, and uh, as far as our listeners, if they want to um, have, have a good look at it. Uh, she's recommending, just recommending what you could do maybe to make a change. Take fewer fewer flights, especially short breaks. Avoid connecting flights. Avoid or reduce long-haul flights. Select environmentally efficient airlines. Use public transport to airports and and at destination. Support eco-friendly tourism at your destination. And fund local environmental organisations as your carbon offset. And I see Garrod Mannion there. And, and many people remember his father, Tom Mannion, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, the travel agent, travel agent in, in yeah. Ennis. Yeah. Um, but Garrod says, the pandemic has hastened the demise of old, dirty and noisy aircraft. Mm-hmm. And I see, you know, Ryanair, t- to give them their due, they, they change aircraft mm. quite often. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they, they yeah. have a lot of the, the 737 MAX That's aircraft right. now, which was off the, out of the skies for... for a couple yeah. of years nearly. Jim, I don't think what Pat has uh, read there by Bridget Guinity is entirely fair in the individual. Because the individuals in this respect can't really make much of a difference or, or a change. I mean, take fewer flights. You take a flight if you have to go somewhere. There is the suggestion there that you might get the boat. Now, I, I don't know when last you got a boat... Um, when you were going to London, um, but uh, I got the boat once when I was going to Oxford, and I'd say uh, that took two days mm. and an overnight. But should, but should the boat, the boat would be burning fuel as well. The boat would be burning fuel as well. Avoid connecting flights. 
how can you avoid connecting flights? Can you phone up Michael O'Leary and say, listen, I don't want that connecting flight there. I'd like to be brought direct, please. And avoid or reduce long-haul flights. So uh, do you mean from Shannon over to Boston? Uh, oh, uh, just drop me off there in the middle of the Shannon or in the middle of the Atlantic. I'll swim the rest of the way. That's a long-haul flight. I mean, you can't avoid a long-haul flight. Um, it sounds it's like don't go at all. <laughs> yeah, it does, yeah. <laughs> it does. And some people, some people have made that choice. But... In, in, in for the vast majority of people, they will take a flight because they need to take a flight there, whatever they're doing. Um, uh, the change that needs to come, I think, is with the airlines and with the fuel consumed. And, and maybe the technology hasn't arrived yet for the and airlines. And I think, David, not alone the, the, that, but the actual nature of the, the fuel. I mean, we're working towards, in fact, a zero uh, emissions fuel. We are hydrogen. Yeah, isn't that right? Yeah, and and, and I I am know. Am I right? Am I right? You are. You are. Yeah. We we we're supposed to be decarbonizing, yes. and so whatever replaces the carbon yeah. is the issue. But uh, I saw up in up in Ulster, uh, right, uh, the right people, the people who make buses, have made a hydrogen powered bus, mm. which is going into service. I think here in the south, or else that's in the United right. Kingdom. That's right. That's right. So. Yeah. Um, it, I think it is a matter of time rather than, rather than yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, not happening at all. But I can't see individuals really making much of a difference. No, no Michael O'Leary doesn't do connecting flights, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's point-to-point. Point-to-point, yeah. point all right, then, okay. But, um, okay, move, from that, we'll, we'll link that up again. There's a story on fracking. Indeed. Um, in John, I'll yeah. hand that over to you. On page, uh, what is it, page 18 and it's of not, the K-Reco. It's, it's an article by Pori McMahon. It's an interesting one. Because apparently some years back, Pat Hayes, our own Pat, um, was sponsoring a motion, and then a motion for Clare County Council to ban, uh, a, 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 to ban fracking in County Clare. And then recently, they have a motion going through asking the government to f follow through on a motion to ban fracking globally. Hmm. Okay? Now, when I was reading this, I was thinking, uh, Pat, the motion was passed. You're asking our government, and Tony O'Brien is with you, to put forward a global ban. What's wrong with fracking? What is fracking? Can, fracking. I, uh, oh, from, can I ask from the, from the point of view of the listener who might know what exactly what fracking a is? A natural gas. Well, the fr fracking is a process, process in order yeah. to obtain the natural gas. Yeah. It is gas, as I understand it, <laughs> as a historian speaking, uh, gas is, is found within the rock. And once rock is shattered through a process of water, as far as I, as far as I can mm. recall, water is put into the That's ground. That's right, poured into it. Poured, yeah. yeah, and through that pressure, the rock fracks or cracks yeah. and the gas is released. is released. I have some little bit of experience of this um, here in Doomgraney when I was belting a bit of limestone bedrock and a, and a lot of gas emerged from that bedrock. How did you know that now? Because I smelt it. You smelt it? 
well, my wife smelt it and wondered what was happening. Really? Um, was there a gas leak, she said. or what? And I thought there was somebody spreading slurry. I could, it, 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 it was I, that strong. It was that strong and that potent. And I've done it a second time. Um, and this gas emerged from the limestone. And, and of course, ga- now I could, some a scientist might be able to tell me exactly what's happening there. But this, this fracking is, is, at the surf- is deep underground. But uh, you could be sitting on a gold mine. Yeah, over there in, 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 we could have a shell we could have a big shell uh, well that's uh, or a bomb <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, any <laughs> anybody who'd like to invest in in my type of fracking is very welcome but uh, no it's it is it's very dangerous it's it's not environmentally friendly at all it's the worst type of trying to get uh, a fuel a fossil fuel out okay. of the environment we should be heading so I'd be very supportive of our councillors in this regard, in this regard. I, I don't know what our government can do on a global level except uh, I don't think any fracking has occurred in this country I understand no. it has occurred in the United Kingdom all right mm. um, Donald Trump was very much in favour of it oh, oh, of yeah. course he was I he was sitting at a rodeo in Florida about four years ago with Donald Trump no but this guy uh, these rodeos, they're festivals, and I mean, they are seen to be believed, okay? Uh, and um, this guy was sitting beside me, dressed in a Stetson, and, you know, he had all the regalia. And uh, it, at that stage, fracking was on the agenda across America, okay? And it was being talked about as well here. So I don't know how we got onto a conversation about in the middle of, of, of this uh, conversation on fracking. In the middle of a rodeo. In the middle of a rodeo. This guy was making millions. This guy is sitting yeah. beside me. Yeah. Okay, was making millions out of fracking. He was yeah. into the business. Yeah. Yeah. And I was saying, any chance of a job there? <laughs> but anyway, so you're saying, John, you'd be supportive of fracking, well, is what here, you'd say. I have a friend who is a geologist, and he was um, prospecting for a major company in Donegal. That's about 20 years ago now, okay. And he got a, he was going through a boggy area and he had a Geyer counter on his, the roof of his, uh, what do you call it? Um, his van. Egg, a van, yeah. <laughs> he had hit a uranium. Oh. Now, this was a major, because uranium is a very, va- very valuable uh, Resort, commodity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But hugely, once you break, it's you talking about making the incision into the rock mm. and releasing something inherent in, within the rock itself. And likewise, uranium is grand in the ground, provided, in fact, it's not disturbed. Uh, disturbed. Yes. And the poor old friend of mine, uh, word got out, of course, got out that he, he you know, that he had discovered uh, uranium. And... Uh, and the, and the Donegal diggers came out very quick, did they? With rocks. <laughs> <laughs> he, had to, he had to actually withdraw very, very smartly well, yeah, out yeah. of Donegal. But Jim, there is... Uh, there is uh, I think fossil fuels are, are dead and gone, to be honest. Literally and metaphorically. Well, can I hold you there? Yeah. Because I'm looking here at data from Money Point. And the, the fuel mix in Money Point... Uh, sorry, on the national grid, uh, gas is at 64%. Uh, coal is at 17%. Uh. And there's a few other renewables are at three, almost 4%. 
I'm surprised at how low renewables are. This is for the national grid overall. I'm very surprised that they're that low. So, I mean, we're talking about fracking there and fracking... Surely Arctic Crusher itself is 1% of the renewables, you would have thought. Yeah. Maybe not anymore. But 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 I, I still think fossil fuels are on the way out. They're not uh, they're not dead, but hopefully on the way out. But the British government this week they were talking about a new um, business of of uh, drilling for oil. Yeah, is it off the Shetlands or in, in that part of the world mm, anyway? Yeah. Mm, mm. But uh, they have put a, a temporary halt to it yeah. because it would be an embarrassment for Britain who are hosting a climate conference That's right, later this year That's right. to have this thing actually start. So, so, so they'll hold it for a year and, and then, then... I'd say six months. Six. <laughs> but, uh, so Rockall does not enter into the geopolitical world anymore then if we follow... Well, we uh, have, <laughs> as a government, uh, the, the Irish government uh, ha has suspended granting any exploration nice. license. I was coming to, uh, on page 11, uh, which I think is the future, or part of the future, of the living section of the, of the Chair, Clare Champion. And most readers might miss this because it's actually a public notice application for a foreshore license. It's not a news story at all. It's just a public notice. And it is uh, the, 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 a company, um, Des, uh, Design Pro Limited, has applied to the Minister for Housing, Local Government and Heritage for a foreshore license under Section 3 of the said Act for Caracon, is that how you say it? Uh, Caracon, Pier, County Clare in the Shannon Estuary. And they have applied for, they, they, they are an Irish developer, uh, sorry, it's JK Initech Limited, is an Irish developer of a submerged tidal energy device composed of twin vertical axis turbines mounted either side of a buoyant teardrop vessel imagine a tear a tear from one's eye vessel the vessel has a shaped bluff body which is moored to the seabed the technology exploits the natural phenomena that occurs when fluid accelerates around and outside an obstacle this allows for significant energy to be generated in low flows and uh, this particular device it says here is going to create one megawatt and can be developed in ways to maximize power generation. That, I think, is ex obviously this is experimental. Um, but I think that's probably the future, or part of the future. Jim, before we leave the, the actual um, fracking story, it's kind of important that the article in question emphasizes that it is associated with cancer. It's associated with mental health issues. It's associated with asthma. Now, I find that interesting in the extent that, or in the degree that, uh, there's no evidence. Mm. This is a statement, a statement of what, you know? And you get a lot of that in the media, don't mm. you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, unsubstantiated generalizations, yeah. which are very confusing for the reader. Mm. Well, it's, scare, it's, it's, a, it's scaremongering to a certain extent, Pat, isn't it? Yeah, if we just go back here to the fracking and and the, and the internet, uh, recalling a tense meeting in in the past decade, Councillor Johnny Flynn Finnegale detailed back in 2011, I became aware of risk of licences being issued to extract shale gas from Milton to which is about a quarter of our county. I then put out a motion asking Clare County Council to ban all fracking gas in the county. I was delighted. I was elected in 2012 when it was written into the county development plan and we, he warned of a national security issue 
Our energy storage and grid capacity nearly failed 12 times last year. We do need energy security. But not from fracked gas. Not from fracking. Okay. But I suppose that we've, been, we've been so used down the decades of, of things that we've been told you know, this is the revolutionary and this is the new thing and this, yeah. is, and this is safe. Mm. And so many times it hasn't been safe. Mm. Yeah. And, and I suppose we've got to the stage where we don't trust your man that sat beside you at the rodeo making yeah. millions out of it. Yes. And why should we trust him? Yes, mm. indeed. Because he's looking after himself and he <laughs> wants to continue making millions. Mm. I, I just, I'm not, I, and I, I don't know, as a, as a teacher, not a, a, a scientist, to... to to, to shatter the rock under the surface, I, it, it can't be good. No, yeah. and, and uh, here's a little micro example of it from Tungreni, <laughs> evidenced by our good friend David, <laughs> who used a hammer and, 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 and what have you to bite into Indeed. a natural rock. Yeah. You could be accused of violating the actual ban on fracking. I could have, but at least I, I wasn't doing it commercially. Nor was I in doing it intentionally. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just a uh, kind of related item is the data centre, yeah, uh, and the proposed data centre. Searching frantically. This is page six of the Clare Champion, Jim. Jessica Quinn has this story. Uh, we yeah. covered it, and it's a, it's in the Express as well. I see. Yeah, the, the County Express. We have the, the the latest County Express, and it's it's the fr the leading article. It's the front yeah. page. Yeah, and we've covered it. we've covered this now. This is the third time it has appeared, and for the first time because we were curious about this day one, we have the name of the company that are, have put in the application, and it is called Art Data Centres. I never know, is it data or data? Anyway, Art Data Centres Limited, we understand a Dublin-based company. Um, uh, campaigners, according to Jessica Quinn, against plans for a 1.2 billion Ennis data centre have gathered hundreds of signatures from people supporting an objection to the development. Meanwhile, close to 50 submissions have been made to Clare County Council in relation to the planning application lodged by Art Data Centres Limited. So that's, it's a sizable, it's a sizable turnout and it says uh, 250 signatures uh, were gathered uh, in the space of seven hours in Ennis Town Centre. Uh, for for this, so they've raised a lot of concerns, and it is again mostly around energy. Where is the energy coming from? Well, David, let's consider the social socio-economic weighing scale on this issue. Yes, because again, a bit like the um, uh, what we said in relation to fracking and and the non-scientific uh, evidence that's frequently uh, in articles. Yeah. Okay? This article by Jessica, as you said, has 200, indicates 250 objections. Yes. Realistically, I'm asking the table, how many jobs are involved in a data centre? Well, we are told, John, at the very end, by the company in question, yeah. and again, we always, uh, we always take everything we read in the newspapers with a grain of salt, but anyway, they've said it. Uh, if given the green light, the development is expected to create 250 data center jobs, 1,200 construction jobs, and 600 induced jobs in support services. Now, t tell me this. Are these numbers for, the, for the, the, all the project referred to in the article? Yes. Are, are they for the total? Because I have uh, heard a comment in the last few days yeah. that you're only talking about, in the Ennis case, 
that permanent jobs are half a dozen. Well, it's, uh, the, the, the company is saying that the development on, in the townlands of Turin and the other, areas and the other mentioned, nations mentioned yeah. is what I have just stated. Yeah. Uh, so you have the jobs on one side, and you have to take their word for it if they've calculated 250 jobs. I mean, it is a very odd thing because data centers, you know, they're effectively warehouses with Absolutely. lots of technology in Absolutely. them. And you presumably yeah. have a few data people in there, all right. But anyway. And it's going to, it's going to take... The, the amount of power it's going to use would, would power every house in Limerick, Clare and Kerry. That's well, right. The, the, the in fairness now on that issue, Pat, the, the uh, others have said, well, the planners can put in a condition that the actual energy used in the data centre is not drawn from the national grid. National 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 grid. But they would effectively have to. Um, they're, they're, they're 200 megawatts. The, the amount of energy being produced for Clare, Limerick and Kerry, um, they'd have to have an enormous amount, enormous capacity to generate their own energy. So it's, uh, you're right, John, in saying that the council could do that. Yes. In reality, I'm not sure they, it would be even physically available. Now, so, even though they have so all this I, land. I, I'm, I'm, having read the article, I'm left with this final question. What is the economic and social advantage at all of getting into the provision of data centres. Well, it's certainly Pat will not, having, will not be having his Christmas dinner. Will you not, Pat? <laughs> because all that energy, if it is built, um, will, will be going towards that. I mean, th this is the, the problem. Going back to the flights, we consume data, we fly, we, we need to get around. Yeah. It is a matter then of finding solutions. Um, maybe Ireland at the moment isn't the right place for data centres because we cannot guarantee. Whereas if you go to a country with nuclear power, yes. then that is the, that's where th that you have security and of that energy. That raises other types of questions. It does. Then. So yeah. what about when we have all these hundreds, if not thousands, of windmills floating on the Atlantic off the coast of Clare and yeah. Kerry? Maybe um, then, maybe then we will have this capacity. And it would be a market for, for that It would, indeed. That but you, Jim, you've just read out the amount of uh, renewable energy that we have at the moment, 3% in the national grid. Uh, and, and they've submitted a planning application at the moment. I mean, we're probably, the campaigners are probably right. We're not yet ready for it. Okay, okay listen, we'll move on. Good news during the week. Um, Brian Lohan has been... Uh, I won't say reappointed yet, it has to go through another hurl, but I think we can safely assume, Pat, that the clubs of Clare will back him. But it's, is that not a good news story? Yeah, it's a, it's a good news story for everybody involved in the GA and involved in hurling and supporters of the, of the county team. Uh, I think Brian Richard deserves another spell as, as manager. Um, I think he had two difficult years with um, he had COVID and uh, all that went with it. And there was uh, other other issues as well, which we won't go go into. And um, I, I'm delighted to that, that Brian is back in there, and that he's a three-year term guy. Pat, why uh, is the headline the use of the, they use the term Lohan content with the board decision? What what do you mean? What do you take by the word content? <laughs> this is his word. I, I'm content. I was asked again. Well, I suppose he's, he's, he's satisfied that he got three, he got three years. No, he didn't use the word satisfied. <laughs> he used well, the word content. He did the same thing, really. <laughs> <laughs> w would you not have said, I'm delighted? It's an ambivalent <laughs> word, isn't it? I'm neither happy yeah. nor sad about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the media certainly would have indicated tension uh, between, you know, 
the county board as a, as a group and the Brian Lohan are the, yeah. and the, the team management. Was yes. it media looking for uh, you know a particular a story? Kind of story. Well, the media are always looking for a story. <laughs> I mean, without <laughs> a doubt. Uh, but this would be. I mean, there, there would be certain reasons and there would be certain incidents which took place which would give rise to the suggestion that there was tension there. Mm -hmm. um, and I suppose critics of, of the, the situation in Clare would say that Brian Lohan should have been appointed weeks ago. And Jim... Uh, but in uh, fairness now, Brian says that the, the, the county board had to look at it from their point of view and had to examine their situation and then come up with a recommendation, which is, which yeah. is true. Jim, I'd ask you this, and you've been involved in, in such issues down through the years. Should Clares have a role to play in determining who shall be a manager of a county team, football or hurling? Well, I, I say they, they have been consulted, John, in, in Clare, and I, I think that the, the players were 100% behind. Well, I know they were. I I, well, I, I don't don't well Limerick went on strike over some years ago, John, and you see where they've got now. Mm. Limerick went on strike for a year and produced, uh, to best of my knowledge, uh, a sort of a second string team. Yes. Uh, now Cork went on strike as well. Um, and it, it to balance the budget. I got a third string team. It didn't altogether work in Cork, but it nearly did. Yeah. But um, definitely. Listen, are we approaching our halfway point? Well, Can we? Yeah. We'll, 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 we'll wish Brian and his backroom team all the best in the next three years and hope. Hopefully we might get thrown our labels. Yes, and if, if you missed it, uh, yesterday um, Leo and Pat had Brian on Sportsline. So oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. If, if you didn't uh, catch that yesterday on Scarif Bay Community Radio, you'll get it uh, during the week on podcast. So Pat, what have you got for us today? Well, we're, we're back to the people dying again, John. <laughs> what? <laughs> We, 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 you, you, uh, you Who come, did you die? We come into there this, uh, who's <laughs> dead this week. So. <laughs> poor, poor Nancy Griffith died recently, so um, would we have from a distance from Nancy Griffith? Very okay, nice. Very died good. on the 13th of August uh, in Nashville. She was only 68. From a distance the world looks blue and green And the snow-capped mountains white From a distance the ocean meets the stream And the eagle takes to and that was the late Nancy Griffith, the late and great Nancy Griffith with From a Distance. Beautiful song and beautifully sung. You're listening to local media this week here on Scarif Bay Community Radio and we're looking at the local papers this week. John, the Clare Echo, uh, the front page of the Clare Echo today has... A, Startling. You know, two very disturbing stories. Mm. Um, one was of a... a some a lady, a Kilrush woman, um, who was who claims that the nuns demanded that she give up her baby, yeah. and that a, a priest demanded answers about her sex life. 
And again, it's, it's, a, it's a very disturbing story. What's emerging in, in, in recent times is the willingness of, on the part of women and girls to uh, drop this, any secrecy and where, where abuse was involved, uh, come out and nail it to the wall. Do you notice that yourself? Okay. And this article um, uh, by, uh, you know, regarding Loretta Callaghan, O.D. in Kilrush, she is very forthright in her experience. She was pregnant as a very young girl. She went, she was went or taken to Dunboyne, mother and baby home. And the story from then on is not nice. But it's for people who'd like to, to inform themselves, please read the story. Yeah. Because it reflects, if you like, some aspect of, again, of the social and cultural uh, atmosphere in Ireland. And we're not talking very. We're not talking about the past here. No, John. we're not. Very, very this is very. This is very recent. I mean, this. It is. Her story began when she became pregnant in 1987. Which is only yesterday. It's. It is really. Yeah, okay, and yeah. um, we we all think this was way in the past, but mm. 1987 uh, is not a long time ago at all. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, she has composed the poem on page 16 uh, is reprinted on the Clare Echo A Mother's Heartache and we, I don't uh, I, I let the readers themselves mm. read that because it's it's it kind of sums up the raw emotion that these women uh, Loretta Callaghan O'Day and many others um, suffered yes yes it was only 20 years which 20 years Pat was it, it? yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I suppose you know the I mean, some of us remember back that time. Like, um, sometimes we tend to blame the nuns and the clergy. And, like, wh while nothing will excuse anybody, priest, nun, whoever, behaving badly, mm. I mean, we have to remember, I suppose, two things, that many of the church organizations, you know, performed a lot of good works. Of course. Going of back course. then. And the other thing as well is that as a society, mm. uh, you know, we... Uh, looked down at a certain stage on women who were pregnant uh, out of wedlock and forced them to go to England to have an abortion or forced them to go off and secretly have their child put up for adoption. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and it was, it was the, you know, it, it wasn't a kind of a mythical people who decided that that was ours. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Absolutely. in families, yeah. parents, uncles, aunts, brothers, sisters, mm -hmm. we forced a lot of young women to, to, to take measures like this mm -hmm. woman did, which was absolutely terrible. And here we are at the commencement of, of uh, the academic year at third level, okay? And um, uh, young people are reminded again of the whole of conversation around the whole question of consent. Mm. Okay. Now, uh, I, I was shocked. Uh, this only appeared somewhere in the national media, mm. a survey of young boys uh, leaving cert age, where they, I think three out of five now, I could be very wrong about the statistic, but certainly a significant number, uh, John, you may have this figure, uh, say that they don't believe verbal consent is necessary Absolutely. for sexual con it's, uh, intimacy. It's stunning. Yeah, Do you know, and it's cr it's crying out for therefore for education. And in the University of Limerick, happy to say it, 
all of our students coming into arts program get uh, con- uh, sexual consent training mm-hmm. as part of the curriculum. And NUIG Galway is very, very strong in the development of programs and relating to that yeah. very yeah. thing. Yeah. But it's got to carry out, it's got to carry quite clearly from the university level of students it shouldn't, into the second level. It shouldn't be happening at that late stage. I no. mean, the age of consent is 16, I think, yeah. and um, parents need to do their share, schools need to do their share, and universities, as we've said. Yeah, and in in the front page as well, Jim, yes, there is the uh, uh, slightly shorter article uh, on a child abuser volunteered at vaccine at the vaccine centre in the Midwest, and the clear echo reveals a 69-year-old man who actually sexually abused his daughter for years, was volunteering at Clare's main COVID-19 vaccination centre. The man's name, his man is named. Yes, and, um, a picture of him there. A picture of him, and he's been volunteering. So what do you think of that like? I mean, yeah. how can that happen? Well, th- it, that, is the, that is the basic question, because the HSE have said that all volunteers are supposed to have been Garda vetted. Was this person Garda vetted? Now, the HSE, it says here, um, or it's actually the UL Hospitals Group um, said that they're not going to comment on, on any particular case uh, except to say that they're all... So the question then is, if he was Garda vetted, how did he get through the net? Yeah. So there are a lot of outstanding questions on that one, yeah. and I'd say that story will, will keep going. Will run, it's, it will. I, I would imagine in, in, in the case where things were being done very quickly and, yeah. and under severe pressure, mm. it can happen, but... Mm. To have someone like that get into that kind of position is just not And of course, uh, of course, now that 12-year-olds and young children are being vaccinated, of course, that is the real worry. Okay, we must move swiftly on because uh, there's, we're looking at mostly East Clare, I suppose, in this part of the programme. And there is work there on the, the walkway, um, bringing the path and walkway, uh, which is there from Killaloo at the moment, up to... Almost to Tumgraney, not quite yeah. to Tumgraney, to bring that further. Walk. Yes, Pat? Yeah, Fiona McGarry has the story here uh, on page six of the champion. Um, another call had been made for the completion of a footpath from Killaloo all the way into the centre of Tumgraney. While extensive walks have been done on the walking route from the lakeside town, the path comes to an end outside the village in the Rohini area. At the recent um, meeting of the Killoon Municipal District, the matter was raised by Councillor Petro. The Van Gale member tabled a motion calling on Clare County Council to give a commitment to continue the footpath from the bottom of Raheen Hill into Tumgraney. So I suppose they're just uh, pushing to see whether they complete the... They have a lovely path all the way up. Oh, it's beautiful. beautiful yeah. All the way up. Yeah. I suppose they, they really want to get it completed. It is remarkable, though, that the council never thought about this day one, that they might actually connect the existing paths in Tumgraney uh, right to... I mean, they did get a lot of money now to, to complete it, and, and they got private contractors. It's a lovely path. Uh, I've walked a good share of it, and lots of people do. But there is the. I, I, how, how long would it be? Would it be uh, the gap? How how how? Be a few hundred meters. I a few suppose. hundred meters, yeah, not maybe. A lot anyway, yeah. Not a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think it'll have to continue to scarf then, because. That oh, but sure, there is a lovely path. Didn't Councillor Burke get your the most popular path in the, in this district fixed the other day through the council? 
between Nylands and up along Tuscara. So you've no excuse now, John, to be coming down into Tomb Graney and the visiting us. Don't even know that <laughs> there's a flood point <laughs> there <laughs> at the gate, just yeah. on the scarf side of the gate. Uh, well, we have to have some defensive mechanisms. <laughs> 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 okay, we'll move on a bit further. I see on the... Is it the Clare Record, the Clare Champion? Uh, yes, the, it's the Clare Champion, and it's on page seven of the Clare Champion. A beautiful scene that I know well here in Scarif, uh, with snow gently falling on the market house and the clock visible through the snowflakes. <laughs> yes, this this is it's a lovely scene actually. It is. Um, it is it is of Scarif and. Rather worryingly, the word Christmas has crept in already, because this is a Christmas card. Scarif Snow Scene. Say that quickly with a few pints on you. Scarif Snow Scene for Irish Cancer Society Christmas card. The story is by Fiona McGarry, and it's a man we've mentioned here before. A Scarif-based photographer is looking ahead to the festive season and plans to celebrate his native town and support charity in the, in the process. James Tracy has just launched a Christmas card in support of the Irish Cancer Society with the image depicting a snowy scarif. Now, um, the, 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 the eagle-eyed Pat has noticed maybe that the snow isn't quite falling on the ground, but the snow is certainly there. there, And uh, it's of the Market House. The Market House is open. It's lovely to see it open mm. for tourists and coming in. The clock, which went up a few years ago... Um, uh, which is still working happily, um, but uh, the, the is, there is one issue in that Mr. Tracy hasn't found a printer, and the story goes on to explain how he he has approached the Society of Photographers in London, of which he is a member, to see if he can find an affordable printer. Um, now, why he has to go all the way to London is another matter, but um, there are just to let Mr. Tracy know there are plenty of good Irish printers out there who will do this for him. But it is lovely. It's a lovely gesture, isn't it, um, isn't yeah. it, John? That presumably the proceeds will go to the Irish Cancer Society. I bought a pack the other day. Ten in the pack. Of this particular card. Of this card, yes. Also, oh, it has been. Ten printed. in the pack. It's, it's, it's in circulation. Um, how much is it? Uh, it's a, a euro each. So t it's ten euro. Ten euro. Ten euro. Yeah. Wish him well. Lovely. Yeah. And for, for yeah. anybody from Scarif, and presumably if he can do it for Scarif, he can do it for other areas oh, yeah. around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for anyone to, to send that off to someone living yeah. abroad is lovely. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's a lovely initiative, yeah. Lovely. Okay, Pat, the um, East Clare page. You, just looking at the East Clare page today, uh, there's a number of pieces there. I see one regarding a Paddy McInerney from O'Callaghan's Mills. Yeah. You might give us some indication of who he yeah, Fiona was. Yeah, Fiona McGarry has uh, the article here on the East Clare page, and uh, it's all about um, Limerick winning less under, uh, in 2021. And uh, in, twi in 1921, they won the All-Ireland as well, mm. and it was the first time the McCarthy Cup was presented. But no, uh, David doesn't want to be listening to that. No, and I'd like to uh, correct him. It was. Uh, <laughs> it says here the 1921 final was played in 1923. Was, yeah, but it was the 21 final. Yeah. Before, uh, position. So he couldn't give Limerick exactly the 100 years. Like. Paddy <laughs> um, McInerney, he was born in O'Callaghan's Mills, in Lake Isle, O'Callaghan's Mills, and the uh, family moved to Limerick when he was young, when he was young still. So he joined Young Islands in Limerick and um, I suppose played with them. And he got his place on the Limerick team 
1918 and they went on to win the All-Ireland debate Wexford. Is he technically then a, a Mills man? Like he left, he left, sure, and sure, would, you, would the Limerick people not say he's a Limerick man? Like? <laughs> well, they probably would, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, he went on then and they won again in 21 when they beat Dublin. And uh, in 23 then uh, they beat Cock in the Munster final and they were beaten by Galway in the All-Ireland final. So he immigrated then after that, I think, to uh, New Mexico. And he lived there all his life. I think he did. Uh, and he uh, died in the eighties. Yeah, uh, yeah, mm. yeah. So it's just a nice story about. It's a lovely story. Yeah. Lovely story. Yeah, and there's a lovely photograph there of the Limerick team in, in 1921. Yes, I know. That just listening to you there, the being Mills man or whatever. I know Dr. Bill Lucknan, the late Dr. Bill Lucknan. He won an All Ireland Senior Championship medal with, with Dublin, Dublin. He did in 1937 or eight. Yeah. And. Uh, Never stopped him being a fecal man, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> As those of us who knew him. Yeah, a good food clear people, actually. You had yeah. Jack, uh, uh, Tommy Daly won All-Irelands mm. and uh, Fowler McGillian, they all won All-Irelands with Dublin. They well, had to leave the county. Country people went to Well, went yes, to Dublin. Dublin. I mean, sure, Daly. that's the yeah. still mm. the story with Dublin, isn't it? No, there's a, a story on, um, on both papers, actually, in both the Clare Champion and the Clare Echo, uh, following a, a visit by Hikwa to... Um, the Lakes Nursing Home. And I suppose uh, I remember when the Department of Education used to descend on schools uh, in relation to doing a whole school evaluation, there was always, um, they had recommendations to make. So they have some recommendations to make of, I suppose, a review needed for protection of residents at Killaloo Nursing Home. And I, you know, that is not to say now that relatives are being abused, or um, residents are being abused or anything in in the place. It, it isn't, but I suppose they're they are they just want Hikwa are looking, John. I suppose for policy to be in place. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's right and proper. Yeah, I think Jim, though, that the the policy is in place, but there are certain the policy may not be the application the application, application of it. it. And yeah. there's a lot of turnover in staff, which presents a difficulty in that, in that yeah. regard. Jim, were you aware of the um, the uh, six Clare locations included in the Streetscape Enhancement Initiative? Yes. That's a fabulous, again, move uh, by the yeah, by the, the Clare Council. County Council. Mm, yeah. Scarif and Tulla are included, mm. and the, the the article by Patrick McMahon indicates vibrant colours will be welcome. Restore old shop fronts, more trees and shrubbery, murals on the wall canopies and street furniture and remove wires. Now, what do you think of that yeah. for Scarif? Well, absolutely. The, the wires, uh, you know, where they exist now and there isn't as many as there used to be, yeah. but they're extremely ugly and where wires have been put underground. I know in Scarif and in other places around East Clare, it's, it's, it's a great boon. It, yeah. it adds greatly to the appearance of the yeah. Some, uh, Could I be devil's advocate briefly? I know time yeah. is running out, and we might come back to it. Is, is, is it tokenism? Like, really, what's, what a place, and we've talked about this before, what, not Scarif, but Tulla, really needs major investment and a scheme which maybe which encourages local shops. Now, how you would do it, I have no idea. Oh, well, this scheme is, is, is actually but embracing that the, very thing. Well, this scheme is for existing Mm. Uh, like, uh, I, if I have a shopfront grand, but what's to encourage me, an individual, a business person, to come into Tulla and set up a business? And what, in fact, if uh, we say to you, 
we are doing, and the council is doing a frontage uh, that appeals to your. It's no sense good to me. It's no good to me, John, because all of the streets is occupied by residential former shops, but now residences. You yeah. can see it here in Scarborough. Yeah. You see it all over the towns, and they're private homes and pri uh, former business people, but mm. they've occupied their home. We need to encourage maybe people to move on, move somewhere else, maybe, and let business people there want is, to take there it. Is, in. There is a share of, of houses of uh, business places in Tulla that's closed, and there's nobody in. Uh, and there's nobody in them. Exactly. Mm. Now, well, instead of putting paint, instead of putting paint on those shops, we need to get the people in first who might be able to paint it themselves. I know you 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 you're not listening to Pat there. I mean, <laughs> I have listened to Pat. But, I no, mean, opt optimistic. Anyway, <laughs> any anyway, you can see how Scarif has reacted over the last three or four years to the uh, painting. Uh, aids that have been, you know, mm. provided. Yeah, but I unfortunately, Tulla, we, and we've spoken about it several times. But, we, Tola, we were, Tola, but I, I would see it. I would see it. No, not not over the last three or four years. Over the last twenty-four years. Over the last twenty-five yeah, years. Yeah. I think a, a huge um, movement happened, and and I, I'd say Scarif simply because I I know what I'm talking about here. Um, the centre of Scarif was was revolutionized going back in the 90s absolutely uh, yeah. paint was put on yeah. the, uh, on the the, the the square was developed yeah the you know walls that were falling down were built yeah it, it improved the visual appearance oh, of scarf uh, not denying it would uh, do no i have no doubt whatever that that would have contributed to economic development in subsequently oh, absolutely. oh yes without oh, a shadow of a doubt so I say, I presumably the, the same as was ha happened in Tulla. Why didn't it happen in Tulla? Well, the that's a, that's a, a different question. The, re the, the recent work in Scarif uh, has has really uh, done a great job, Jim. The, the pads, know, the, the new pets, and painting, and the lovely uh, street, yeah, um, yeah. Academy and all that. Do you know what we said last week when we were talking about about uh, trying to introduce uh, liberal democracy into a country that's not ready for it? Well, right. I think you don't think Tulla is ready no, for no, it. No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> at a micro, at a micro level, development has to come from the heart of the of the settlement, mm -hmm. from the core of the settlement. Yeah. And not every uh, but town is at the, is at the same. I agree level with you, John. But there can be certain encouragements, and this is a type of encouragement. And yeah. I'm suggesting, mm -hmm. and Scarif was ready for it, and mm -hmm. the heart was there. Uh, you need other types of encouragement as well. There's different groups. Agreed. You do. If you look at Tulla, there's, there's different groups in Tulla, and there's no, I don't think there's any community council in Tulla, an overall body there. The, the, hmm. You know, there's you, yeah. you have, you have music groups and you have I know, various in, groups. Which yeah. You had in Scarif, you had the community council. In Tumgraney, you've had the Development, Development Association. Yeah. Yeah. You've had Mount Shannon Community Council. Yeah. Yeah. We see what the exchange in, has done in Ogunalong. Indeed. Know, exactly. With, with and in the absence of those groups, uh, you do need the council to step in which, which because that is they're, mm. they're the only ones left at that okay. stage. I, I think, think we talked about that in Kilkishan last week, John, didn't we? We did. With Michael Hogan. We did. Yeah. And there was a huge amount of work done there in, mm. in, the, in the buildings. Listen, that was, uh, yeah. just that we'll go back to this topic again because it, yeah. close it's close to my heart. It's too important. It is. Yeah. Okay, John, There's very just quick. One you, heading. One, you have 30 seconds. Parik McMahon, again, Parik's been very busy this week, hasn't he? Residents left with severe burns from the giant. Hogweed. Now, I don't know that why, in, uh, invasive 
yeah. plant, but apparently it's imposing itself in the countryside. It's do any of you recognise it? Well, yeah, I do I've indeed. I've seen it before, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, a lot of it is on Clonlera side. And yeah, and you see it along waterways yeah. in particular. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it, we, anybody, don't take it and cut it and put it up in your in your kitchen window. It then, looks nice, right? but it's very dangerous. It's yeah. very yeah. dangerous. Okay, we listen, we're out of time, folks. Thank you very much for your input today. Uh, great, loads of topics. John, thank you very much. Welcome, Jim. And Pat. Thanks, Jim. And David. Thanks, Jim. And please, God, we'll see you all next week. What, Pat has another song for us to finish well, out on. Charlie Watts of the Rolling Stones. He, he died during the week at 80 years of age. So we'll have... Um, he was a drummer, wasn't he? He, he was. He a drummer with Rolling Stones. Yeah. So we'll have um, Mick Trigger and the Rolling Stones, which... Satisfaction. Lovely. Okay, listen, thank you very much for joining us today. We'll see you again next Sunday. Please, God, goodbye and God bless.